Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Gaurav Goel shares his path from the ultra-competitive Indian Institute of Technology to ECSP Business School in Paris for his Master's in Management. Learn how this degree differs from an MBA, the opportunities it affords during the gap year, and how Gaurav leveraged it to land multiple top internships at large investment banks. Hear about his struggles to get his first break trying to stay in Paris speaking French, and how once he broke through, he was able to perform at the top of his internship class to get multiple full-time offers. Eventually, he accepted an offer at Goldman in M&A in Paris. He stayed there for seven years before jumping to Astorg Partners, a highly successful private equity fund in Europe. Learn why he wasn't able to save much when making hundreds of thousands of euros each year, why he left to found his own startup after a few years, and what's in store for him next. Enjoy. Gaurav, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. It's my pleasure, Patrick. It would be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Absolutely. Um, so to start with, I did my engineering from IIT in India. Then I did uh, management from a Gondi Cole in Paris. Uh, that's when I entered a summer internship at Goldman, uh, started uh, doing M&A um, as an analyst in 2008 at Goldman, did um, stay there for seven years with brief stints in London, and then left Goldman for private equity uh, at Astorg for three years. Um, and I had that my personal frustration, which led me to create my own uh, tech startup uh, two years ago. Very cool. So let's start all the way back at IIT. I'm sorry? Let's start all the way back at undergrad. Yeah, sure. With pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're going to IIT, I know it's considered, it's incredibly difficult to get into number one, correct? Yeah, it is. So you you get in, that's the big hurdle. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think the biggest hurdle is to get in there. And once you are in, uh, of course, it's competitive, it's tough, but it's much easier than uh, the, the entrance examination. Now tell me about in terms of your options there, you, had, you were uh, in electrical mm-hmm. engineering, but did you have, um, are there finance tracks? What's the, what's the offering? So, uh, so the, the offering for the engineering track um, is mainly like in engineering from computer science, electronics, all the way to civil textile. Mm-hmm. Um, people have their own preferences, choose based on rankings and all that. Mm-hmm. But within, um, within those course offerings, there's of course, there's also a management school at uh, IIT. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely get some courses in uh, management. Did you do that? So I, 
I did some courses in management, yes. Okay, and then uh, in finance when, and entrepreneurship, yes. When were you thinking about business school? How? What year were you always kind of gung ho and knew you wanted you were interested in business, or was it something that kind of developed? Yeah. So actually, I come from uh, entrepreneurial family. So all my um, like ancestors and my and my parents have been entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do finance actually quite early um, because uh, my dad was in a business where he bought and sold some bit of his of the company assets, mm-hmm. and so I knew quite early that I want to do finance. But in India, it's kind of like um, you need, it's like IIT's kind of thing. You need to do it if you're aiming for something higher. So IIT was the thing to do. So I did IIT. And then I know that immediately after IIT, that's kind of my gateway to uh, management school, either IAMs or uh, abroad. And mainly um, that that will give me a good uh, foothold Mm -hmm. to study finance and do what I want to do. Uh, is it typical to to study and, and still kind of focus on an engineering track, but still go finance after? Is that typical there? It is quite common, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of IITians they do uh, management after that. Of course, yeah. I mean, um, IITians do go at the end either for engineering uh, masters or for management masters. So tell and, me, is is it more common? Um, was the MBA on your radar? Was like an MBA in either you're, you know, somewhere in Europe or the US? Actually, my, my radar was uh, literally for management in Europe. And there was several reasons. I, wanted, I, was, I always wanted to learn a European language. So um, I was either German or French mm-hmm. and just wanted to have my own track rather than just going either to London or to the US, mm-hmm. uh, which very often do happen. But for me, it was mainly um, either uh, Germany or France. And when so- I came to Paris, I fell in love with the city and I knew that I'm going to choose the school there and, and be a part of uh, that. So you, you knew you wanted to learn a second language. So that kind of either German or French. And so Mm -hmm. you um, narrowed it down um, to, uh, and you knew a master's in management, not a master's in business. No, exactly. Can you tell me the difference kind of uh, just for the listeners who aren't familiar with with a master's in management, like how that, how that's different or similar to an MBA? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the difference is um, also come. It's also related to culture. In France, um, if you do these grand écoles where they offer um, masters in management as well as an MBA, um, the course is over two to three years for first of all masters in management, mm-hmm. and um, it is more coveted. It's more um, accepted uh, within. Uh, France. So if, when I did my due diligence, mm-hmm. uh, for me, the point was, okay, if I'm going to do an MBA, so first of all, what is the value of that MBA? Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, uh, how is it compared to the Grand École Masters in Management? Um, so the difference also lies in your classmates, um, the experience they have and the experience mm-hmm. they bring in. So in Masters in Management, mainly uh, the students we had were either undergrads um, and they were continuing their studies to the fourth year. Uh, whereas for an MBA, you will have people who have done like three, four years of work experience and then undergrad study and come, come across. Got it. Uh, for me, uh, when, I'm, when I had to make a decision, whether it's going to be an MBA or a uh, master's in management in France, as I said, like for me, I was very determined to be in Paris. I wanted to really learn that language. Um, and so for, when I did my due diligence, I was looking at the key schools, key business schools. 
And the two out of the two business schools, HSA and uh, ESCP, I chose ESCP because it was in the heart of Paris, very well uh, known course, very well, uh, a good school. So that's why I chose uh, this. Did you actually learn how to speak French? Oh yeah, well, I'm French now. So uh, nice. it took me three to four you're years. A citizen, to you're a citizen? Yes, I'm, I'm French citizen now. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I very love the cool. language, it's really amazing. So, and how's your English so good? Just growing up, you, I sp- spoke it all the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like in India, um, English is quite pretty. Like yeah, it's basically, yeah. For, so, uh, yeah, my parents spoke uh, with me in English and from, the, from very early childhood. And so you're kind of, uh, you, you make this decision, you're going to be in the heart of, heart of Paris, not a bad place to be. No. Uh, an amazing city. Yeah. And you're, you're given, the, the good part about the master's in management, yes, it's a little bit more kind of younger people, but you're mm-hmm. given a little bit more time to do internships, it looks like. So you really took advantage of that time? Absolutely. You so got the right me. point. You got yeah. the right point because master's management, what it does is if it, at the end, it brings you to that level. It gives you opportunities uh, to have a year or two years of internships. Mm-hmm. And those internships in Europe are actually quite uh, like, it's literally like hands on job. It's literally like junior analysts you're mm-hmm. working. So it brings you up. Yeah, to they're speed. long. I can see they're really long. Yeah. Eight six months, months, six months, yeah, eight six months. months, nine months, one year is quite common. Yeah. And if you look at uh, in Germany, there's, there's even more, like people do even more internships. They, uh, so in France, it's, it's like common to have one or two years of gap mm-hmm. uh, doing internships. And that's it's, what I did. Tell me about um, specifically, so it's, it's almost like a job because you're there for so long, yeah. but yeah. tell me a little bit about uh, specifically, um, did you see it as narrowing, narrowing your options by accepting certain internships, like because it turns into a full-time job like here in the US or is it seen more as exploratory? No, definitely not. So um, if you do your internship as a first year candidate, um, then you don't have like full-time offers. So those are more like, learning, uh, exploratory, uh, you learn to, to see what the job entails. Yep. Then the second and third year internships, that's when things get serious. And so I did my internship um, after the second year, like one year gap. Mm-hmm. And those internships are like full-fledged jobs. So you are working literally like as an, as an analyst. Um, you are given same responsibilities as an analyst in a bank. Um, and most of them can convert to full-time jobs. Great. So you did, I think you were at SockGen, right? For, for eight so I months. Did your eight, I did eight months in Societe Generale for, mm-hmm. on equity research yep. in food retail. Then I did a six months at BNP Paribas in m and Is uh, this all while you're taking classes too? No, this is pure gap year. They're gap year. Okay, gap year. Yeah. So you actually take time off before enrolling. Yeah, okay. final year. Absolutely. And this is so standard. I, this isn't looked down upon or weird or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, this is actually, this is very encouraged. Okay, I great. mean, if you don't do these internships, then you will definitely have uh, trouble finding the right job. Okay. Uh, also, the point is like, you know, like the classes are quite young. Yep. Students are quite young. So they are from year one, they are encouraged to do all sorts of uh, job experiences, internships, apprenticeships. I think that makes a ton of sense. I guess my question is that process of even getting those internships, mm-hmm. I assume at uh, mm-hmm. SockGen or BNP or Goldman, getting those is really hard. Yes. Um, even if it's a gap year. So tell me about that whole recruiting process. Yes, you went to IIT. Is it after you have been accepted to the business school that they start looking at you and you're still... Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, So I got into IIT, then I got into ESCP. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember applying for the internships the first year, Mm -hmm. didn't 
wasn't very successful actually mm-hmm. um, because uh, two things, either the language and also the, uh, the competition because now I was competing against people uh, who are third year analysts who have already done a year of internships in finance. And if you don't have that first internship in finance, it's quite tough to get it. Um, so how did then, you get that first one? Uh, it's persistence. You just keep on applying. Um, and at some opportunities, you get, to do, you get to perform well. You learn from every interview. But did, you, then, but did you, like, you have this gap year before you start your master's in management, right? Uh, or, no, no. Oh, during, during master's in management. Yeah. So you do a year and then you have a whole gap year in the middle. Exactly. God, okay, I'm getting it now. (laughs) So what happens if you do the year of school and then you have the Mm -hmm. gap year and in that gap year, you can't find anything decent? You just take whatever you can get at some point or what? Well, no, that depends on how it was a bad time. It was a bad time. Well, no, the the economy hadn't cratered yet. 2006 and 2007 was was the best financial year. (laughs) Uh, I can tell you a lot about my internship experience uh, during that amazing boom because the summer of 2007. Yeah, um, but answering your question, so the, the second year when I started, um, I had a lot of finance courses. I knew specialization. You learn a lot mm-hmm. and you start applying uh, because the application process starts in actually August, September for summer internships and all that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you start applying, you start learning from the interviews. Uh, of course, there's Vault Guide and all those kind of special tools. Um, or the Wall Street Oasis guides. All the Wall Street Oasis <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just, kidding, I'm just kidding. No, absolutely. Those are amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now they're amazing. I completely agree. Um, and then you uh, come across, uh, if you don't get internship, which can happen, yeah. um, you see whether you want to stay in that particular stream or you want to change your stream. Hmm. Or in worst case, you can continue your studies. It's, you can finish your third year and still apply, keep on applying your internships. Because these are both off-cycle, on-cycle internships. So the, the time depends from every company to every company. You can start in January, March, April, June, whatever. Um, at the end, uh, so... So how many, like, how many interviews did you have to do before you got good at it? And are you starting, like... It, it, so you were, you were prepping with the, with the vault guys and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But I assume the reps of the actual interviews helped you a lot more, like the mock Oh, interview. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Uh, Theoretical knowledge is theoretical knowledge, uh, but when you go and do the real interview, it's very different. And even for an internship, it's very different. So, of course, they will ask you some theoretical questions, but it's a little bit different at an interview. You are really, they're given more practical problem and then you need to solve those practical problems. Can you give an example of like something that threw you off initially? Oh yeah. I know it was a long time ago. Uh, a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> no, I can, I can, I can say like, I, I can say like when I was applying for my internships, one in one of my interviews, it was EPS uh, accretion dilution and um, something related to forgetting the question exactly, but something was um, if there was a government funding, uh, how would it would go out on the balance sheet and all those, like all these kind of, questions which you normally don't do in, in, in finance courses mm-hmm. at that um, and well, EPS accretion dilution you can definitely do on uh, that was done in business classes in finance yeah. classes but depends also at which level either in the third year or in the second year so yeah, you also have to understand conceptually what what that means so that when you throw a wrinkle in the question you're not completely <laughs> that's <laughs> the point like there's always something uh, tricky and uh, then, of course, there was trade questions about trading multiple, transaction multiples. Those were quite easy during that time. So that's yeah. okay. 
but um, where I had trouble was the French language. Mm. Because in my these second year, all in in French, all these interviews. Yeah, oh I, I like. I wanted to, the point is like I really wanted to stay in Paris, so I had refused all the internships in London, and oh. um, I even refused Goldman for London. Actually, wow, I had my offer for Goldman in London, but I said no, and as a result, uh, you really love Paris. Yeah, I do. It's <laughs> so, so wait, so are you in London right now? Right now I'm in London, but going back to Paris soon. But I, well, I had to move because of my business. I have okay. my business right now in uh, three different cities. Got it. Okay. Um, so it was. Uh, so that was one of the reasons that I was getting uh, rejection at the end because they're saying, okay, you know, it's Paris office, small, everybody speaks French, so you need to speak French and uh, like write in French and all that. So it was taking me time to get that proficiency level. Right. Um, uh, but. Uh, I can even remember, like, I was at some point even desperate to uh, to do some other finance internship, not M and A, but like I even applied for sales and trade sales, uh, not trading, but sales. Mm-hmm. Horrible experience. So uh, why why but, was that horrible? Uh, no, <laughs> the, the interview was, was horrible. Very stress interview. Yeah, very stress interview. Tell me uh, why. What were they one, just, like, one of the banks, you? like they, yeah, they were like, okay, uh, you need to sell me this uh, this equity. And um, then somebody else entered into the room. It was a stress interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, okay, no, I don't, I, I don't agree what you're saying. It's complete bullshit. Um, the, the stock is X, Y, Z. It's not good performing at all. Uh, look at the matrix. I said, look, look at the matrix. This is what you say. So I was trying it, but there was a very massive. They wanted to see until what level I will be client focused and mm-hmm. accept the aggressiveness mm-hmm. on the client side from the client side. Yeah. I think that was their point. What's the right way uh, to handle that? Do you think just keep going? Just keep going. Yeah. Don't lose, yeah. don't lose, lose your cool. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, which I did, of course, which I did, of course. You lost and, your cool or you lost, yeah, or you just I, I lost my call. Yeah. I was defending, um, the, the facts which were given to me. And I said, no, uh, like, yeah, at some point it became a bit more heated debate. Hmm. and which uh, which for sales i agreed shouldn't have been the case but Got you know it. like you learn from those things so i learned but i learned one thing that i'm not gonna have sales internship <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's like okay yeah exactly so i said like i know um i like m a i like uh, banking so i'm gonna focus on that um and then i had this opportunity at uh Sogjen for mm-hmm. under equity research which is basically same thing as corporate finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, want, you go build like deep valuation models, trading comps and transaction comps. Yep. So that was a perfect gateway for me. Yeah. And the moment I got that internship in Sakjen, within I think within two months, I got my, uh, my M&A internship at BNP. At BNP, and then you knew you were off to the races at that point. And then absolutely was the case. And then I applied for Goldman, a summer internship. I got Goldman summer internship, um, and which was amazing. Like, all of these three internships were amazing. Learned a lot. Um, but then I had already an offer from BNP for M&A in Paris. Mm-hmm. And then I got offer from Goldman to join as an analyst in London. Why do you think you did so well in these internships? I assume they don't give offers to everybody. No, no. Absolutely. So tell, tell me why you, you know, not even being fully fluent. Yeah. Why did they want you so bad? Well, <laughs> because, because uh, to be I'll honest, be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> don't don't worry about bragging yeah. or being modest. I want to know why you think you you excelled in your internship yeah. class because it's clear to me like you struggled to even get that initial internship, but once you had it, 
it was yeah. like it quickly steamrolled into you getting multiple offers for absolutely. full-time offers. So tell absolutely. me all of, yeah, all the full-time offers. And I think the, one of the key factor to success there was performance. I think, um, really like learning the job. Um, I was making sure that like it was 2006 and 2007. So working hours were really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't show any uh, discontent on that part. So working so you were in at 9 a.m. and going home at what time? Oh, equity research, I was there at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Uh, and going home at what time? Going at, uh, for equity research, I was going home at 7, 8 p.m. Okay, so uh, like 14-hour days? Yeah. Is that five days a week or is that? Five days a week. Equity research is five days a week, yeah. Okay, yeah. So and then once you got to BMP, was it worse? That was seven days, absolutely. Um, <laughs> not 8.30 a.m. to 2, 3 a.m. almost every day weekends almost included so yeah you're you're i think you're clocking close to 100 there yeah oh more than that i would i would think yeah uh, over 100 hours a week okay yeah. so so that internship um, was brutal this is 07 yeah. the market was hot so, there's so many deals there was deals all the way like literally yeah. and the thing also because you are learning a lot and if you're learning uh, i think and that's one of the things i will also advise all intern applicants mm-hmm. is team effort the most important thing is to learn from the team. And uh, if you have a question, I don't think so anybody, any junior or any analyst or associate have, uh, have a problem answering that. It's just that you need to be upfront and don't hesitate in asking questions because that shows two things. First of all, that you're eager to learn. And second, um, you're trying to uh, give a good result at the end. And you're making um, relationships, uh, bonding with the team, Mm-hmm. And all that really captures because you want to, you will be working 12, 14 hours with the team. Everybody wants to work with the right person. Um, so yeah. team is very, very important. And that was the focus. Absolutely. How did you go about asking those questions when you were lost, when you mm-hmm. were, you know, I know you can do it, but did you ever feel like, shoot, I've already asked this before. I should know this. And mm-hmm. did you research or you I were think, very um, open and aggressive. Like, how did you get that? Open. Yeah. Okay. So how did yeah, you? Yeah, I just, I just. Oh, I don't know. Like, I literally go went and asked the question. As uh, I didn't hesitate and ask a question, even yeah. if it could be second time or third time. Yeah. Um, like, okay, I'm not going asking that question to a partner, but I'm uh, asking that question to analyst or an associate. Mm-hmm. And um, frankly, I think they everybody likes to spread that knowledge. Like, very rarely. And if you're sharp, which you are, because you got into IIT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I assume you were picking things up relatively fast and then yeah. quickly started adding, adding value. Absolutely. And like, um, working like fast and working long hours and not trying to get out and just no. being there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can say like in equity research, I built a valuation model. I did the first uh, whole analyst report uh, by myself. Wow. And well, a lot of things, of course, my, the analyst for equity research analysts would fully val- well, validate it, read it, uh, think it, but I was given opportunity to write it. Uh, get some trading multiples valuations because uh, they could see that I was detail oriented. Mm. Uh, there was proper backups. There was proper things they could easily check sources. Of that. Your, your formatting wasn't too oh, bad. Oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> formatting wasn't bad. Commas were there. Full stops were there where they were supposed to be. Um, and this and is not your native language. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That's really, really impressive. So you had, you been taking uh, courses. Courses in French for how mm-hmm. long prior to, to moving to Paris? Um, I think a year, year, year and a half. You only had been taking courses for a year and a half. Yeah. And you yeah. got this in your head that you wanted to learn 
French. Yeah. You went yeah. and somehow managed to compete against all the other French nationals and yeah. work a hundred hours a week and landed. I mean, that's incredible. It sounds yeah. like similar to my mom who moved to this country when she was 12, was in high graduated high school at six, went to college at 16. Because wow. because her mom pushed her wow. so hard um, to go. They're like, oh, we don't have room in seventh grade. So she was, we'll put her in sixth. So she's like, no, put her in eighth. <laughs> That is tough. That is really tough. And she didn't know English that well, you know? And so it's interesting that you um, were able to... That's tough. Because yeah, because if you're like young at that young age, if you're like skipping and you're like promoting one class up, yeah. that's a lot to gasp, grasp. Well, I mean, you being able to compete with uh, and learning language was, so late. Yeah, it was like, look, the, the language of finance is actually English, but still internally, the team speaks French. Um, right. And, and, and uh, that's what like all the refusals I got, like at some point I was like very angry and desperate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was getting those refusals, but these banks, they gave me opportunity because they were very good. They, they understood the, the, the potential. Mm-hmm. And like even at BNP, I was, I was managing uh, like oil and gas merger models mm-hmm. for really big uh, transactions. Yeah. yeah. And which they normally no, don't even give to analysts. So that was kind of trust I had gained from my, from my team. Um, Why do you think you were given so much trust so fast? I mean, because you're only a BNP. For, was, it, was it just because you were a whiz kid and they, they knew that somehow because of your scores and uh, other things? Defin- I mean, first of all, yes, I was uh, learning quite fast. Like I could go, yeah. I could build a model. Uh, but I was determined to like, how did you communicate that? Like you were actually presenting work to them. That was, yeah. So when I, when, like when the work was given, I would say, okay, um, this is work. I will do it. Uh, I would ask, okay, do you need something even more out of it? And before leaving, I would ask my analyst and associate, is there something else I can do to help the team? Mm -hmm. Um, I would sit down and say, okay, can you show me the merger model? Um, this interests me. Uh, like I remember like, especially for oil and gas, I was like, okay, this model um, of upstream production and how the cash flows come from it interests me a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you show me? So he showed me, I said, okay, can I take care uh, in the next project? Can, you, can I be a part of it? He said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. So I was part of the next project. And then, he, then I started taking some responsibilities from him. Yeah. And I was delivering on those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I was, my backups were ready. Um, and I was really upfront about speaking about those things, what I want to learn and mm. what that, and the team liked it because what everybody you likes, you're hungry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and I mean, I'll, that's a key aspect in all banking part, right? Um, if your team is supportive and they can, you can give some work to them. It's basically, you are free and you can take some more senior responsibilities. Yeah, And that's all across the chain, like from analyst, associate, VP, partner, MD. So everybody wants um, somebody who has, who can offload a part of their work. Did you feel like that first year in business school, were you doing self-studying outside of classes? How do you think you were so ready for like just Excel work and all that stuff? Because it takes, I think it takes at least a month or two to ramp up and really become efficient. And you must have been efficient right away. Yeah, on the, on the Excel, I was, um, I was. You were a monster in Excel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> I was, I was basically, I was just uh, playing you're not, with it. You're not using your mouse. Excel. No. Oh, definitely not. No, no, no. Good it man. was, yeah. I mean, the, you know, like in banking, yeah, right. The mouse just slows you down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was really working that. I was just playing with it, even during my first year at at business school. I was just yeah. playing with Excel. I was working so, on Excel models and all. So yeah, I can tell you, like, I was. My first year exams were not in finance. I mean, they were good, but could have always been better. Yeah. 
Well, I think you were... Uh, all I learned was in the job. Uh, every yeah. internship changed everything. That's when I knew what finance is, uh, why it's uh, so attractive, mm-hmm. um, what makes transactions so attractive, and all that thing was uh, at job. So once you had that M&A advisory job in Paris from, mm-hmm. from Goldman, mm-hmm. did you feel like, okay, this is my job to lose? Did you feel like you had to repeat the, the incredible progress you had at uh, BNP? Like oh, you no, had to, first, you had to just go in cause uh, you were. Yeah. So first I had this BNP, right. Which is in Paris. Then I got this Goldman offer from London, which I refused. They made yep. Goldman offer for me in Paris. Then, uh, then I joined Goldman in Paris. Um, I was the only person who didn't speak French and, uh, in the whole team, that internship was, I think the most, except for my entrepreneurship career, mm-hmm. that was the toughest ever like 10 weeks, eight weeks to be precise, mm-hmm. was just brutal, literally brutal. Um, but I had a good support uh, from the team. Brutal in terms of just pure hours? Hours. You just didn't literally. Sleep. Yeah, literally. And, and you know, this is, I'm talking of summer of 2007. Yeah. Finance industry was its, at its peak. There were transactions which were being refused, just team didn't have capacity. Yeah. And um, the reason I loved Goldman and... I want to say that, emphasize it, because day one, uh, the two partners in Paris, they were amazing. They literally said, look, if you finish the work at seven, you go home at seven. We don't want anybody doing FaceTiming. And they literally meant it. Yeah. Uh, they literally <laughs> meant it. And uh, at some point, they will come to your desk and say, okay, do you, what, what are you working on? Look, this thing can wait until next day. You can leave. There was scenarios. But that didn't happen. I mean, it was three months. You guys happen. are so busy. It didn't. Once or twice it happened, but yeah, it's like you can. But you're like, actually, there's this five other deals I haven't started. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You will give the excuse. They'll say, oh, this is what, whatever. But, but where it impressed me was I remember this major transaction um, working there, mm-hmm. and there was this partner, and the whole team had been doing like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. every day. But this partner saw that team has been struggling and there was something needed to be done. So we worked with the partner until 4 a.m. And he did the model. He literally did an amazing model <laughs> just by himself until 4 a.m. And he sent it to the team and said, look, uh, I uh, hope it helps. It was perfect. Yeah. And he, he saw it. And that, you know, this kind of inspiration mm-hmm. is amazing because you see like senior partners are working with you until 4 a.m. Yeah. And they are not like, okay, uh, Excel model, I'm not going to touch it. Mm-hmm. They were hands-on. They were literally hands-on. And yeah. that inspired a lot. So you want to work more. There are more transactions coming. In, in that summer itself, I'd worked on three transactions. So in for three months. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved that internship. So you knew this is kind of what you want to do. Did the, t- the team obviously loved you because you worked so hard. You just knew you had to go back and finish school one more yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, yes. Okay. Then I had my offer from Goldman and then... My final year at my school was, yeah, it was a piece of cake. I was enjoying it. I was really having fun. Yeah. It was kind of like the, the calm before the storm before you started yeah. back up. Uh, in exactly. And so tell me, you know, it was interesting because you, then you joined um, in Paris as, a, mm-hmm. as an analyst in July 2008. Mm-hmm. Tell me what was going on in the world in July 2008. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, we know before joining. So our joining date was around 14th of July 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know before joining, things have been completely south. Um, mm-hmm. Like a lot of my friends had already, not a lot, like a few of my friends um, who were joining in different banks. And two of them had already received pink slip uh, even before joining. Offers rescinded. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, and so they were like a month before, so they had finished school, they were all were happy. Um, and just a month before starting their training, they said, okay, no, there's no job. This is in London, and, most of their jobs? Uh, yeah, Paris. absolutely. Yeah, okay. So it had, already, it had already started hitting. Yeah, uh, exactly. And then, you know, like I rejoined uh, Goldman Training uh, yeah. 14th of July. And from day one, I think the message was, um, we will survive the crisis. You will feel um, that how strong the firm is and um, you will be stronger after this crisis. Um, so don't worry. That was kind of a message which was like portrayed in training like every day. Mm-hmm. And when you see, he, hear that, it gives you confidence. But then in the newspapers, there was banks which were filing all those uh, yeah. things, you know, like bankruptcies and all sorts of things which are going complete mayhem in September 2008. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end, it, Goldman, at least I would say, um, things didn't impact that much for the analysts. Uh, class which was joining yep uh, but i can say like their fear was there of course everybody was scared uh, yep. what's going to happen there were rumors all sorts of things how big is that um, team in mna advisory in paris in mna when advisory joined, yeah, when you joined. so we so when i joined uh, we were 100 analysts in europe emea you know, but what about the paris so in paris we were um we were five five yeah so pretty small analysts. group so it's really yeah. tight knit i assume yeah Absolutely. So in, in Paris, the whole, the, the team size total was, uh, I think, uh, around 15, mm. 15 to 20 bankers, okay. uh, depending on the year. And yeah. five, like this, our class was the, the biggest class with five analysts uh, when, we, when we started. Uh, but we did like three they didn't months. Let go of any of you. They didn't let go of any of you. Sorry? They didn't fire any of you. Any of the no, animals. none. Not even in London. I mean, I think some of the team some of the analysts who joined with us they were given options to join other teams mm. um because maybe the team was cutting down yeah um, in time but they were all of them were given different options i think but i don't think so anybody was said as you said like nobody's offer was taken away that's great i assume the bonuses were still pretty low because the deal flow was yeah don't get me started on that the I bonuses so were yeah. you still working long hours was there at least a reprieve with the lower deal flow or was it just pitching 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 oh pitching 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 yeah it's so completely you... so goldman i mean um uh, in m&a the whole thing is if you have a lot of transactions you're working and if you don't have transactions you're pitching yep. and you're pitching more than ever before so you like keep on going keep on going so yeah so the, I saw both like the phase was a lot of pitching, but all, sorry, and a lot of transactions going as well mm-hmm. uh, during like my seven years. Uh, then the period of IPO came as well. So the two IPOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good, like very good, very good experience. So yeah, you went, you eventually became an associate, right? Straight promote. Yeah. Absolutely. And was that after three years? Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, is that standard so like the, the, or what, what, time, what happened at that to time, you either? At that time, it was like... Um, Two years analyst, then you would be promoted based on your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, either you'll be promoted or asked to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, to third year analyst, and then from third year analyst, there was another performance review to make sure that you are joining as an associate or not. And then as an associate, and then um, associate for three year, three and a half years, and like the whole pro- whole cycle, right? VP and things. But this has now changed. Now I think it's two years of associate and there's a lot of mobility programs 
included yeah. all those things. So it's a bit more different now. Yeah, two years of analysts, and then they do uh, yeah. accelerated promotes and stuff like that. Yeah. Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about how things kind of shifted over your seven years there in terms of, um, like you said, the deal flow started. You were pitching a lot at first because you were in the depths of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. I assume by 2011, 12, it started getting better and deal flow started picking up. Absolutely. I mean, there was... Yeah. Um, there were still Doom. deals you did. There were, there were, there were definitely deals as well. Like even yeah. 2008, I was working on some very big transaction, uh, mm-hmm. like it was $40 billion uh, M&A transaction, which didn't yeah. happen at the end, but um, it almost came close to, to it. So yeah. there was transactions which were definitely happening, mm-hmm. but there was definitely more pitching, um, not only for M&A, but also pitching for, you know, like um, refinancing mm-hmm. um, some of that or uh, restructuring was there as well. Because I was in Rothschild. Nightmare. I was at Rothschild restructuring from O2 to O4. Oh, nice. Oh, during, wow. a, during a downturn. So we were busy. <laughs> <laughs> so you would have been very busy with that, Tim. That yeah. yeah. Um, restructuring requires a lot of modeling and a lot, a lot of, of crazy fine things. negotiations. With oh, the, my with gosh. The and they're long. The engagements are long and it's, it's, yeah. it's ugly. And yeah. it's the, the number of scenarios you can run with these crazy capital structures becomes yeah. endless. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely like small thing okay if we change the 25 basis points here and then my goodness. oh so you yeah. add a cash sweep at this quarter this, this, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. oh yeah oh wow yeah, okay. um, so the, 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 the modeling the, we did was insane um but the so so in terms of hours so it, it was still really long hours 80 100 yeah, weeks three, yeah absolutely three, or, three yeah. or seven years or once you were an associate did it go down a little bit or no mm, not much i would say it did go down a little bit at the end um but that time you are now preparing for like because the, re- the responsibilities change as well right mm-hmm. um the only way you can have a good um promotions everything is that if you as soon as you are comfortable or you get the day-to-day job of your current role you can do it good mm-hmm. that's when you start asking for more right. and as a result like as a two-year analyst, you're working on Excel models. You want to perfect that. As a third-year analyst, now you want, you want to start delegate a little bit. You want to start training your junior analyst and start monitoring it. As an associate, now you have a team to manage. But at the same time, you need to learn how to manage and how to interact with client. Mm. By the time you're a senior analyst, you need to start preparing pitches, proposing pitches, mm-hmm. pitching ideas, and manage the team, of course, uh, correct the models of analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, now you are interacting or you're part of the execution team who is responsible for managing execution on day-to-day life of the client. Right. So all those things um, comes with learning. So of course, there was like my office hours would say, okay, from nine till not midnight or 2 a.m. every day, but would change out to like 11 p.m. perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then at that time, you can either prepare something or you can learn and move on. So there's what literally changed was a flexibility that I could work maybe a few hours from home. Right. Um, that I don't need to be in the office all the time to finish that. That's a, those are super long hours to be going for seven years like that. that I mean, that's yeah. just, did you get any vacations? What was your thought process in terms of when did you start thinking, hey, this private equity thing sounds interesting? Tell me a little bit about that thought process and the whole recruiting for that. So um, for the private equity, um, somehow I wasn't very motivated when I joined M&A 
to be in private equity. That's why I never even looked at it when uh, my friends started to leave. You know, like when you start, when you enter M&A, you will see people leaving M&A for private equity within first six weeks of finishing their training yeah. of analysts. Yeah. So um, I remember like we were 100 analysts. By the time I left, there were only five from my batch remaining. And that's all. So I, w I really wasn't like, I wanted to do advisory. I was, I really loved it. Um, a lot of transactions, mm -hmm. but um, one of my MD, my favorite MDs had left a year before. Mm. Um, and he left for private equity. He was, I was doing a lot of private equity transactions for him. Yep. And uh, he introduced me. He said, okay, look at this opportunity. This is something really good. Um, and that was an opportunity where international expansion, a lot of responsibilities, setting up a team. Mm. And that thing, I haven't thought of it before. But um, when it was proposed, I was like, this is a good uh, stepping stone for me uh, towards an entrepreneurial side. And so and you, I, your long-term vision was, I definitely want to do something on my own at oh some point. Oh, definitely. Yes, absolutely. So you always I was just waiting that. for the right opportunity. Yeah. And so yeah. you were saving money and, and or just. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Or, were you part, or were you partying a lot in Paris? Uh, I'm partying with your, a lot. With your three hours of sleep every night. Partying a lot. Like, yeah, I loved, like, I loved, um, I love some, I love dancing. So I went out dancing a lot. Nice. Yeah. I really like it. I really do. Um, so I went out clubbing, uh, but that's part of things like you work hard, play hard. Yeah. And, um, so no, I wasn't, I wasn't saving that much, <laughs> uh, but the pride equity. Well, can you equity, talk about how you're not saving that much? I know Paris is expensive, but yeah. weren't you making, expensive. Like, weren't you making insane money by the end? Mm. couple well, hundred it thousand depends. <laughs> I mean what is it Euro, yeah Euro, definitely right? it was the Euro yeah, def yeah definitely like you make a couple of hundred thousand def that's for sure but yeah expensive taste <laughs> yeah. yeah you I see the beautiful painting behind you maybe that <laughs> painting was a bonus <laughs> well almost almost I would say oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 yeah exactly so, yeah. the thing is you earn and when you earn you you lose a little bit sense of the reality. I would say, I would, I would, as in a hindsight, I would say definitely this thing. So, um, so do you wish you, you had saved more? Do you wish you had saved more? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, yeah. no, actually, no, no, you I, enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I had no, I have no regrets. Absolutely. No regrets. You only live one. Um, you only yeah, live one. absolutely. And that's what the point is of work hard and play hard mm -hmm. is you really work hard. And sometimes you need to just get that out. Like change that, that, that surrounding. Yeah, and I like tra I like literally like dancing and uh, traveling. So I did that as soon as I had free time. I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going. And so uh, you got an occasional week off here and there where you just yeah get out absolutely. of town and go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. weekends. Yeah. Where did you go? What were some of your trips that you did? Um, so I did. Uh, so I I was fan of weekends, long weekends. Yeah. So I would take uh, two two or three day weekends. Yeah. And my one of my like I had phases. So I I enjoyed Stockholm quite a lot. Oh, nice. Um, Barcelona was good. Um, also, I liked um, south of France very much. Mm. So, like nice. Riviera, Nice, Cannes, yeah. uh, Monaco. I also liked Corsica, which yeah, is a small do, French you island. You do have expensive taste. No, it's not expensive. <laughs> no, trust me. That's a, that's I've a, been to Nice <laughs> and Monaco. I know, those, I know what those places are like. No, no, no. No, it's, no, it's, um, it's beautiful there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a it's a good city. Barcelona is awesome. I love Barcelona. Yeah. My grandmother's from Barcelona, Barcelona area. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, what have where have you traveled in Europe? Like, seems like you have traveled oh, a lot. 
I back not anymore with the three kids. I'm grounded. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I've been to Barcelona, Madrid. I lived in a small town north of Madrid when I was 15. I, um, nice. been to Italy a few times to Rome, actually Rome with Rothschild before I started, they, they flew me out before I had my, before I started full time and we played in a soccer tournament wow. at, at Lazio's field, you know, the club Lazio. And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. We played on their practice on their whole you facility. Played at Lazio stadium. Nice. Not, at the sta- not at the stadium their practice the facility practice field. yeah yeah and wow. so like it was really cool because we flew in i was mm-hmm. placed on the new york soccer team they knew i played soccer so uh-huh. i was placed on the new york team they were trying to bring me in because they knew i played to try and beat oh. the other <laughs> european <laughs> yeah because you were european yeah absolutely because um, and so it was yeah. funny because we played a whole tournament i was exa- we were jet lagged we play a whole tournament uh, like all day four games and then you then we oh take a, we take a bus to the rothschild castle holy in, so you were flew in for the soccer game? Yeah, in Rome. Then we go to some sort of castle in, yeah. in Rome or outside of the outskirts of Rome. Mm-hmm. And it's Rothschild's castle with the Rothschild yeah. wines. And it's this crazy party. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I think, like 20 <laughs> years old. I'm like, where yeah. am I? What's going on? <laughs> that, that's, that showed you the glamour the of glamour. the finance world. Yeah, the glamour and then the reality hit once you started working. <laughs> um, but it was it was a very cool experience. Um, okay, so you're you're kind of you're enjoying your, you're trying to enjoy your life, you know, while you're working those super long hours. You're you're making sure yeah. you know you're not skimping on your on your dancing and your vacations and your travel. No, yeah. um, but you eventually um, get this opportunity. So this this MD that left was he at this fund or was he at another fund and he just he was at another fund, so he left for another fund. Yep. And um, he saw this, this opportunity because he knew my taste very well. Hmm. Um, he said, look, they are looking for uh, exactly somebody with your profile uh, for yep. international expansion in Paris and all that. And um, I had a discussion with him and saying, look, I'm not that interested. He said, like, just have a talk. Mm-hmm. And they made an, an offer which I couldn't refuse. Um, and at some point, you know, like you're uh, opportunistic. So, of course, that was... Very good offer. Tell me, was also, the offer more rich on the cash side or is it more just care, uh, part of carry that you three, like? three, Threefold. So first was definitely carry. Um, mm-hmm. So that was definitely huge. Uh, carried any, at, at, at that level, at any wood. Uh, knowing that you wanted to go, because, sorry to interrupt, you wanted to go to be an entrepreneur eventually. Did you know that carry was going to be realized and don't you have to be around? No. For that? no. I knew that I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't get it. When I would leave, I wouldn't get it. You knew you wouldn't get it, right? No, absolutely. So you didn't put that I, much weight into the carry. No, exactly. That's why I said like there was threefold. The offer yep. came threefold. So one was carried. Mm-hmm. Um, the second was that exposure, uh, which I was getting. Um, international deal, well, international development of the team. Like I would be responsible for one particular sector, development of that sector within mm-hmm. PE, myself. Mm-hmm. And then third, uh, the fund was really, is one of the most successful funds. And they are really doing transactions. They are hungry. They are really doing a lot of transactions every year. Do you mind so telling me a little bit about them? I'm, I'm not too familiar. Where are they sure. based um, out of? And- Astorg, uh, based, uh, based, well, it's a Luxembourg-based fund now. It's a mm-hmm. French originally. Yeah. Uh, but Luxembourg-based fund mm-hmm. uh, with offices now, uh, before I left, was in London, Luxembourg, Paris. Mm-hmm. Now they're off opening office in, uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. as well and uh, they have opened office in frankfurt and milan and how much what's the assets under management for the whole um i think now it's around 10 billion 10. That's pretty um, big. and the last fund they just closed i think last one at 4 billion that's so great. literally like a month or two two months ago I think that's a monster started. that's a monster yeah exactly and they haven't lost money on any transaction 
um, wow. the maximum they did. So that's that's something like it's one of the most successful uh, private equity fund in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows mid cap was now they will they're now like starting to do on the large cap side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really good. Um, like all their deals have cat at least two and a half times with the yeah. maximum at eight and a half times return. Wow. And all the all the fund well they, the the churn of the the way they deploy the money is quite fast. So every fund till now has paid the carry, like everything, wow. all the transactions. That's incredible. So yeah. So I know that I will be doing transactions there. That was my part, plus the responsibilities I'm gonna get. Um, and opening the helping open the Paris office or opening the Paris office. Well, no, within Paris office, uh, they had they had a French team, but within yeah. Paris office, open more international uh, exposure, international deals, so I can go and source uh, international it. deals. Got it. And okay. that was the part of it, and that's why I loved it. So when I joined, I was sourcing the deals. I was I was I was bringing deals on the table, um, and by the time I left, I had already done five transactions in PE within three years, which is quite rare. And uh, so I had done one uh, one exit and four buy sides. Um, all things and uh, so great experience. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of experience I was looking for. And as an investor, I wanted to really make sure what are the key, key aspects of negotiations, what are the, the SPAs, how deeply you negotiate. Right. As a banker, you know it, but at the as an investor, it's a different level of yeah. And you know, it's not it's not so much about the PowerPoint presentation for the client as much it is for the analytics. Exactly. And is this is this an actual good investment or not? And you have to put on a different hat. So it's it's kind of good yeah. to use a different part of your brain for a little while. Absolutely, it's yeah. it, like I was learning how to do due diligence. So at the end of the day, I was like, you are. Yeah, managing on, that whole team. Yep. Absolutely. Not only yep. team, like literally at, at Astrogas, I could say that I was doing an, the calls with the experts. Yeah. And you just want to get smart, real smart on the company and sector you're buying. So your time is, um, of course, dedicated to making sure that any money you're investing in any company, you are fully aware of their whole surrounding ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, financial model comes in, but Financial model is uh, like once you have done seven years of M and A, you know, like uh, that's it's something easy. you master. Uh, <laughs> nobody even care. No, no, nobody cares. Like the, you are confident of those models, right. and then of course you have your M and A teams there as well to 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 check to manage. So your focus becomes more on uh, getting the investment right. Mm. What the return, right? What what kind of return I'm going to get? What kind of growth you're buying? And that makes sense. So the skill set is obviously you're, it's more kind of analytical in the sense of like yeah. uh, strategy consulting type role where you're looking at like the 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 competition, the where they are in the space, what are the is there a moat? All the all the typical Absolutely. things of like is this a good investment or not? But tell me about. Um, but, but you also oh. make you also make revenue models. Huh? You also uh, make revenue models. You make the financial model um, right. and. The build up so in order to make the re- revenue model, because as in MA, you will be given gr- growth rates, you will read some research reports, you will bring some growth rates or be given by client. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the client now on this side, on the private equity side, and you are the one who is vetting what kind of growth rate it should be. And that growth rate comes through when you're doing that right due diligence, commercial strategy due diligence. Mm-hmm. And um, that strategy due diligence comes through like asking a lot of questions with the customers of the company, blah, like the whole ecosystem around it. And once you start getting that knowledge, then you start doing your research and then you start getting comfortable of what the growth rate could be in the next 10, five to 10 years. And mm-hmm. that's when you start building your revenue model. And once your revenue model 
which has been fully detailed to things comes in, then your simple uh, LBO model runs in, and then then it's a yeah, a simple uh, corporate finance model. Yeah, it's interesting that you said a, a big part of the of the job was sourcing. Yes. So tell me a little bit about the skill sets you needed for that, or the tools you used for that, and how did you how did you even know where to look? Oh yeah. Okay, was it so just your relationships? Private, I, private I, equity. Um, I will say, of course, there's like good import, like returns are very important at the end. LPs for yeah. LPs for everybody, but sourcing the deal is the most important aspect for private equity. Right. And um, to get what what does sourcing mean? Of course, you will as as a large cap, there'll be few deals in the market, but you want to get that early access to that information so that you can do your due diligence properly. And that comes through uh, relationships, networking. And that is the key part. And how you do network. So, like, I'm proud of it. Like, you, I had network from my engineering school, from business school. I had my network from my internships. I didn't lose contact with them. Mm-hmm. And I made, made sure that because those people, they are now in all different sorts of fields. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, like, even when I was an analyst at Goldman, we were 100 people. 96 of them had already left. Right. When I was, so, and they were in private equity in partners or directors or different positions. Now that becomes a very, very important networking point. Mm-hmm. And um, you can learn so much from them about the deals, about the transactions, which can come in the market, which cannot. So the, the skill set now is more interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. um, getting to know what can be in the market before, and then trying to find a way to reach to the management and talk with them, form a relationship. Um, Warm and, introductions and to management. Absolutely. No, no, uh, no auctions or limited auctions, ideally. Exactly. I mean, at mid-cap, uh, at mid-cap, it really matters a lot. I mean, of course, in small cap, it matters even more. Yeah. But it matters a lot. If you can do your deal before even it comes to the market, hmm. that's perfect. Or at least you can get to know what could be an expected price. For especially, especially nowadays where the pricing has gone so crazy. Oh, completely, yeah. And at the end, like everybody comes up with crazy numbers. So you need to, uh, in order to not only give the number, you need to have a right connection with the management, with, the, uh, with things so that management doesn't say, I don't want to work with this private equity one. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of chemistry, um, like intangible thing. And that like, was, what do you think is a fair price and da, da, da. Oh, yeah, really? no, you know, at the end of the day like the, i can tell you like no matter what the transaction will happen based on the number for sure who brings in the bigger check right maybe the difference can be okay five ten million perhaps rarely but if somebody's putting in a bigger check that's yeah. where the transaction will go but you need to have that last call you need to get that last call you need to do you feel you like to have, do you feel like the funds in these latest vintages though are just they're having to put so much capital work that they're they're bound to fail. Oh uh, no! They're bound to have know. suppressed returns, or you feel like yeah, you know, suppressed they... returns for sure. Yeah, I yeah. think I think um, that in the current scenario, it is a very high possibility. But uh, you know, like finance world and the world is still growing. There's still growth. Okay, may not be in X sector, maybe in the Y sector. Right. Um, but there's a lot of growth. There's still a lot of growth. We as humans are made like I would say. Uh, by Gordon Gekko, uh, the famous thing. He said, greed is good. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I would take it not in a negative sense. I'll take it in a 
in a, in a positive sense that greed is about growth is about people want to achieve things. And that's what drives our humanity towards progress. Anything you develop for progress, any new innovation, that's a growth. And that growth brings by default revenue because otherwise it won't. Mm. So we can change different sectors, subsectors, but the growth will be there. And when there's a growth, there will always be people who will fund it. So, and that funding would come in. And as the companies grow, as things grow, some yeah. will fail, some will not fail. But yeah, I think the, the, the returns will be there. May not be the same level. But it depends what, really, what funds. I mean, it depends. What size as well. Exactly. I mean, it's not, you're not going to have eight time returns on a $10 billion fund. No. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, so the, the return size change. With the, of course. Yeah. Of course. So tell me, so you're, you're there. Um, you still were getting a pretty attractive offer on the cash comp side, obviously, because you weren't putting a lot of carry on the carry mm-hmm. or you weren't yeah. putting a lot of weight on the carry because you knew you were going to leave. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about just uh, the, the cash, compo- cash component was slashed like anything. Oh, so you took a huge pay cut on the cash huge, side, huge, 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 huge. but you still did yeah. it because you felt like it was giving you a different perspective. Uh, oh, absolutely. And in your yeah. resume, it, it was interesting and it was an incredibly strong fund. Oh, absolutely. Like I didn't, I said like, uh, because I knew that I will not stay until the end for the carry because I had no intention of staying for two. Uh, when you two, say it was slashed, was it slashed 50%? Like you were making a hundred thousand? Like, yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from like yeah. 300,000 euros down to a hundred thousand or something crazy. Like almost that? like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Almost like that. Absolutely. Oh not gosh. that far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's tough, but especially someone who likes to travel and go out. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, that definitely so changed. <laughs> what, part of, what, what part of your, your mindset was maybe I should just keep going in banking and saving if I'm going to go start my own thing. Eventually you just really felt like that investing side was important for the startup side. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Tell me why. Because, because of for, run, for fundraising yourself for, for no, so as an investor, as an entrepreneur now, it's mm-hmm. about fundraising. It's about um, understanding what investor wants what you as a company want mm-hmm. and able to do the due diligence right as well about right. the team, about the company, about the operations, and also have the right negotiations on different documents. Um, and as, an, as a PE, you learn a lot about the business. And that's what I wanted to learn about business. What do you think was the hardest, part, the hardest, hardest documents to get your, your hands around the, load doc, the loan docs? Oh, yes. The purchase definitely. agreements? Which ones? Uh, no, I think the loan document, the loan documentation is always uh, tough to read, to go through. And uh, the reason yeah. I'm asking you all this because I've had listeners say, ask more about like the skill sets needed to succeed in the job because I think people are interested in that. So like, how can somebody mm-hmm. be a little bit more prepared for their job besides knowing how to build an for LBA private equity model? for private yeah. equity job? Yep. Yeah. For um, so there's three field, three different fields in private equity. One is sourcing. Mm-hmm. One is like pure execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be a brilliant PE guy if you are really brilliant in execution. Execution. So, like on the operations side, or you mean on the fund? The, the, no, execution. The like uh, making sure transaction side. Right. Um, when when what do I mean by that? Is like you are managing um, uh, different advisors. You make sure that the output is completely in line with your investment committee, mm-hmm. um, and uh, in line in the sense that whether yes or no, like you are the one who was driving it. You are the one who will be representing it to your investment committee. Mm-hmm. So you need to get comfortable on legal, on finance, on commercial, um, on operations, on insurance, on risk. Mm-hmm. Every single uh, work stream that 
uh, that like starts for, for during a transaction, you mm-hmm. have to be on top of those transactions, those, those things. So right. you will have to learn a lot uh, when you join from MA. But it depends on which stage you're joining. So if you start at early, right, two years after uh, banking, as a, as after, after two years of banking, yep. you will learn uh, one thing at a time. Um, you will learn first how the LB models are, what kind of returns the, the fund is looking, and uh, how do you interact with different teams. Right. If you have, once you have that four or five years of experience, now you are expected to manage teams. And on top of it, of course, deliver in front of your investment committee. Right. Then the more experience you have, the more you get, then the question comes about sourcing, then the question comes about, okay, uh, in this, let's say, uh, SPA, um, share purchase agreement, what are the rights, uh, what are the exit, what are the tag along? Then the, the conversation is along how you are tempting the management and how you are incentivizing them mm-hmm. so that they work, the, the, the two things are aligned so that it's not like a CEO or a CFO leaves just because he's not going to get that much out of the next LBO. Um, okay. So all those things needs to be rightly numbered. So management package comes into play, mm-hmm. um, tag along rights, drag rights. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, inter-share, well, if you have another fund with you, then uh, inter-shareholder agreements and all that thing. Comes yeah, across. can get pretty so complicated. It, yeah, it, the, the transactions get very complicated like and then you once you have done the transaction mm-hmm. you are the one who is managing it mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it at least at astro not for every other fund yeah um, because there are some funds where you do the transaction and there's some other team which manages it in terms of the uh, operational side in terms of talking about the C- cfo keeping track managing the portfolio Man- yeah absolutely the day-to-day operations day-to-day uh f- like portfolio management right um okay. so but at astro it was the transaction team doing the portfolio management as well got it that's great. So you're okay. So you're there for what, two years, and then you start thinking, when when does this kind of idea for your own my business? Yeah. Well, my the idea of my own business uh, was there when I was leaving Goldman, actually. So, but okay. I was um, not convinced at that stage to do, to take that jump. I was still waiting for validating the market, and I wanted to definitely do one or two years in PE. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then. I remember this frustration which came and it was summer of 2017 mm-hmm. and I had was, I had enough because I love networking and for me, networking is everything. And I remember sitting that uh, summer uh, like in August collecting those business cards and I was so lazy. I didn't want to enter any of those business cards and the scan card solutions. I start to look at the scan card solutions, which didn't work. Every scan card solution requires some sort of manipulation. And it's like, okay, if I'm doing manipulation, why do I need to, to pay for scanning cards? Mm. And um, so that manipulation was- Manipulation in terms of you had to tell it where the name was and stuff like that? Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. Like all, like no matter which business card uh, scanners you take, there's always the name uh, are changed, like first name, last name, um, phone goes to fax, fax goes to phone, <laughs> or landline goes to mobile phone, and all those things do happen. And as a result, the data which you get is not clean and you still need to spend time on cleaning that thing. Um, or like there are some solutions where there's somebody, I don't know, in some country who does manually check your things. Come on, we are not, we don't live in this kind of a world anymore. We shouldn't <laughs> live in this kind of a world. So um, idea well, was- a lot, of, okay. a lot of tech firms start like that. They say it's automated and they have somebody actually in the back end making sure- Exactly, right. absolutely, absolutely. And then they figure it out. 
Yeah, that that's that's what they show, and and, and I, I don't like that part because mm-hmm. you it's it shouldn't be. It should be very transparent. Like if you're doing some technology, doing do it properly. Like say, okay, fine, it's your business model, but not for me. So it wasn't working for me. It's like okay, I don't want to do that. And then you know, like um, I'll be here. Like people add on LinkedIn and things during ten years of finance thing you get a lot of LinkedIn invitations, emails. Nobody looks at it. I don't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. I have 50, I don't know how many contacts I have on LinkedIn. I don't even know how many people I know. I like 80%, 90% of them. I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like, I want to create a solution. First of all, ease of exchange of contacts. So I don't want to rely on business cards. First of all, I want to get rid of business cards. Mm-hmm. I don't want to carry those in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And second, I want to have different profiles with different people I want to exchange. And third, um, I want to make sure that I remember them. I want to remember where did I meet them. I can add very quickly a voice note to them. But mm-hmm. that note is um, added to their name or to the meeting so that I can remember those things. Or even personal things like vacations and all that thing. Mm-hmm. That is rather than me scrolling on my Excel or on my Outlook notepad. Um, now, that's what was like reducing the efficiency, productivity. Yeah. And that's as I said, okay, look, this has, this, this has to stop and uh, I need to do something about it. So tell me about I, your, your business. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so um, so the, the principal pain points I just mentioned, like it's about business cards. It's about exchange of contact. And mm-hmm. it's, that was the genesis of it. Now it is much bigger, uh, solving more problems. So what we are saying is like, you can I'm create, looking it up right now. I'm, I'm looking sure. at you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I've looked at it, but I want to see kind of what it looks like on the site. So so the point is like, you can first of all, create different profiles for different occasions. We all now live in a world. We all have different personas. You Mm do, I don't know, perhaps golf or yoga. You have your personal life and you have your professional life. You don't want to carry those. First of all, business cards, different thing. Maybe you are a director for a different company or board. You have different contacts. You want to keep those contacts separate. So if, and then I want to exchange that contact in very easy way without any QR codes, without any scanning, and um, without um, taking any business cards. So I want uh, to exchange my contacts easily with anybody I meet, hmm. just with my phone. So the technology which we developed is patent, is your patent pending, and you just bring the two phones close to one another and the profiles are exchanged. Hmm. When you exchange those contacts, it also saves the date, time, and place automatically. And now suddenly I remember, when did I meet you? Uh, where did I meet? And I, instead of now a contact, you become a connection. Mm. And then I can leave very quickly with a nice user interface and user experience. I can leave very quickly a voice note uh, about our meeting. And now like, you know, like in banking, you do the meetings and you're taking a lift or you're taking a cab or you're taking a tube or in banking. Okay. Well, tube is a question <laughs> mark, but yeah. Um, you, to- you take those things and then you go back to your desk and you write those notes. So that's what I want to avoid. I said, okay, I, I just finished my meeting. Uh, I leave a voice note and it's done. In 20 seconds, my key point, which I wanted to remember from this meeting, is saved and scientifically proven. Once you hear your own voice message back of that particular meeting, it gives you more recollection and faster recollection of that meeting. Mm. And now suddenly my tool, um, Stay Touch, is becoming a networking tool because it's not only about contact exchange. It's about management. It's about uh, yeah, so I think, I think it's really slick. Uh, my question is now, how do you use the tool? So like, oh. so when you're ready to go meet with somebody else, you're like, who is this person again? And then you yeah. go and dig them out and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that meeting from two years ago. 
Absolutely. So now, uh, like I use, I just openly refuse to accept business cards. I don't do anything. I exchange contacts only through my uh, tool. Um, as I said, like now I can remember anybody who, who I meet then and there. I have a very powerful search engine behind it. Mm-hmm. So it keeps me that. And the point is like, whenever I'm going to meet that person next, my system will remind me automatically the last meeting. And uh, then I can just quickly go to my voice note and I know exactly what did I discuss. And then, of course, if that person also is on stay touch, my contacts are updated. My, my contact book, I will not have that problem of, you know, like five Thomas with five different numbers right. or one Thomas with six different numbers. We all don't know. We all change jobs and we all keep on adding the same business card uh, over and over again. Yeah. And as a result, we don't know which number to join whom. Yeah. So um, that thing, uh, you manage it with this. And of course, then there's a, more powerful tool uh, behind it. You can organize it better. You can group, you can filter, you can set reminders. Um, so yeah. Cool. That's really yes. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a found, it's a very fundamental problem. I guess my only question would be like, what's the hardest part about it? It's probably getting people to just download another app. Well, um, or no, yes or no. Yes or no. Because the point yeah. is like the app for networking, it's literally made for everybody who networks. Um, okay. like even for students, you will undermine like students network a lot. They're going to meet. What if it's not meet. live? What if it's me just networking and I do connect on a phone with somebody? Yeah. Uh, like right now I can share you my contact details, yeah. uh, at this distance, I can even send you my profile yeah. and the moment I send it, it will save this date, time and place. And yeah. now you are on my system. So I don't want you, I don't want like, even if you don't have an app, mm-hmm. I can have enjoy 90% of the benefits in your, own, in your own benefit. in my own yeah. state touch absolutely got it okay exactly so yeah. that's the key part so i that's what i'm saying like i it's not something which is it's not dependent it's not dependent on everyone else on having the network it. effect it's absolutely yeah which is i true. have individual advantages of it i know like no matter who i meet at whichever even career forum or uh like meeting a professional meeting or even informal wedding gathering uh i know that no, no matter who i meet i have their contacts and i know that what, when did I meet or what did I add or how, and it was also ease of exchange of contacts. Uh, yeah. for, on so, my part. so tell me kind of what's next. Are you in the fundraising process? What's, what's so I'm literally, so um, we just launched our uh, app officially at Vegas in at CES consumer electronics show. Congrats. And uh, thank you. And now we are starting our fundraising uh, seed round uh, starting like Monday. Yeah. Is it a paid, is it a paid app? Is that the idea? So the idea is uh, freemium. So there's going to be free version because I want everybody to use it. Um, And then there's going to be premium features behind it. Um, it. So, but the basic functionalities, whatever we discuss will remain free. Um, There will be some premium versions of it. And then there's going to be an enterprise version for the likes of Goldman and Deloitte and ENY and all that company. Love it. Yeah. I see you can create a memory. You just touch to connect. Yeah. Absolutely. It's much more than that. Like, like right now you can have your public profile. So I have my public profile. And I can easily share that information with you. So it creates, it gives you also your public page. Kind Very of cool. Automatically created. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, Thanks. man. Thanks. Also Thanks. potentially a, uh, potentially acquisition candidate too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I, like I have a maybe LinkedIn will, be, if you get some, if you get some, uh, some traction, maybe LinkedIn will swoop in. Yeah. Look, I mean, we are already at, we have already more than 15,000 downloads and we Amazing. haven't spent anything on the marketing yet. Uh, so we are going fast. People understand the advantages of it. Um, my aim is to enjoy the ride and grow it. 
So not sell it very soon, at least yeah, yeah, yeah. a target of $10 billion and then we will see. Very cool. That's yeah. awesome, man. Cool. Oh, I really, I really appreciate you sharing your story and being so forthcoming about everything. Um, is there anything before we call it? Um, uh, where can they fall at staytouch.com is where you can, you can absolutely. grab it or just in you the app just, store or the play store. It, the, so out. the app is, app is, uh, the networking app is available both on iPhone, uh, on the app store and Google play mm-hmm. on iPhone. It's available from version 12.3 and above, okay. which I think everybody has it. Mm-hmm. And on Android it's uh, 8.0 and above, okay. um, works cross platform. People can exchange contacts even if somebody doesn't have an app. As I said, but the advantages are like quite huge. Um, mm-hmm. My personal frustration at Goldman and Astro, sweet answers. Um, and yeah, and all any other information, it's on status.com or you can even reach out to me by on my email address. So I'm very happy to answer. Great. And um, anything else before we call? Anything you'd share based on like or, or advice you give to your younger self? I usually ask the guests. Yeah. Looking so back. looking back, my only advice is. Um, the team matters the most. So when you choose the right, uh, everybody will make a lot of decisions about teams, about um, transfers or moves. Please make sure the team, like look at the team, do the due diligence because everything can be ruined if there's no fit with the team. And Hmm. then the move or starting of career can just destroy that uh, impression. So Team is everything. So the team effort also from your side uh, and also just make sure that during the interviews, if people can, you get to know the person. Don't hesitate in asking uh, things about the interviewer himself or herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they like um, and where they spend their free time on? Like some of these questions, it also helps in breaking ice, but mm-hmm. it also shows that you are interested in that person as a person, not just for sure. Uh, banker or something. <laughs> banker XYZ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks yeah. so much, Gaurav. Thanks so much for taking Thank the time. Thank you very much, and, uh, It was a pleasure. It was a, lot of, it was a lot of fun and very insightful. Yeah, my pleasure. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh,